so thank you Rio for reading the text title of this message this morning is go soul winning raise your hand if you've heard the term soul winning before so some people have never heard this term soul winning now a lot of terms that people have heard is the term of evangelizing and obviously they are the same thing and I'm going to explain how that is the word evangelizing or an evangelist is simply found in the two parts of the word evangelizing I mean you think of the word angel when you hear that word evangelize and what does the word angel mean it's just simply a messenger right you hear a lot in the Old Testament that the Bible says that the Lord sent an angel and then they preached a message or they brought a message to people so the word angel in the part in ev there is just the aspect of the good the good messenger is what an evangelist is someone who preaches the gospel is known as an evangelist but not only that the Bible also uses another word known as soul winning you don't need to turn there but it says in Proverbs 1130 that the tree of the righteous is a I'm sorry the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he that winneth souls is wise so someone who wins a soul to the kingdom of heaven the Bible says is a tree of life so like I said the title of this message is go soul winning Matthew uh, 28 is the very last chapter in the Gospel of Matthew and it's paralleled in Mark 16 parallel passages are just passages that are bringing up the same sermon or the same message and notice what it says in Matthew 28 verse 18 it says and Jesus came on and spake unto them saying all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you and lo I am with you always even unto the end of the world this is what's known as the Great Commission. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead and showed himself unto the disciples, he gave them the final or the Great Commission, the work in which the early church and us today are supposed to be doing. And the first wording you notice in verse 19 says, Go ye therefore. Not stay here and preach the gospel. Not wait till people come to you and preach the gospel. But go ye therefore and teach. Now it's like I said paralleled in Mark 13. I'm sorry, Mark 16. And it says preach the gospel. So the Great Commission is threefold. Preach the gospel, baptize them, and then teach them to observe all things whatsoever Christ has commanded. Now the word of God is big and there's a lot to be taught. There's a lot. And as a matter of fact, it's, it's innumerable. We can read this book and we will know this book for an eternity if you're saved and you read it and read and read and you will always learn new things. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the word of God made flesh. The, what we hold in our hands, the Bible is known as the word of God and it is timeless, it is infinite and it was, it's, people say it, it's, it's a, um, infallible, I mean it has no error. It's inspired, I mean, God's spoken, inspiration. You think about uh, uh, just when holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And we also believe that it is preserved. See, a lot of people today, unfortunately, do not believe in the preservation of God's word. So at, we strongly promote the King James Version of the Bible in this ministry. Why? Because we believe in preservation of God's word. The title of this message is not to go into preservation, 
that's another sermon that will come to a theater near you. But if, nevertheless, we do believe that if you are to go and preach the gospel, we need to use the words of God, not our understandings of them, not our analogies of these words, not in commentary on the explanation of these words, but Jesus Christ says, these words that I preach unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Jesus Christ said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will not pass away. So in our English language, we believe that the King James Bible is the perfect preserved word of God, inerrant, perfect, without error. Now, like I said, I'm not going to go into that subject today, but maybe at another time soonish. I'm just wanting us to understand the importance of going soul winning. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. He that winneth souls is wise. Paul says in a, elsewhere in an epistle, I became all things to all men that I by my all means save some. So the thing is, we as Christians, whether male, female, husband, wife, child, adult, grandma, grandpa, whoever you are, the Great Commission applies to you. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, nevertheless, it may not be feasible in our lives to go travel the planet and preach the gospel, right? Not everyone has the financial ability to go across the globe, but understand this. When this was mentioned in the time of Christ, in the time of the early church, he says, go ye there into all the world, right? Into the farthest places of the world. If you look on a globe, guess what is the farthest distance from Israel? Hawaii. If you take a pin needle and you go straight across the planet, from Israel, what you're going to land is somewhere in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And where are we? We are in the farthest quarters from Jerusalem today. But you are here right now. So nevertheless, you can be in the farthest place of the world preaching the gospel, expounding on the things of God to go and preach the gospel to the lost. So I just wanted you to first understand that the term soul winning is just what it means to evangelize. The Bible teaches that you know, a pastor or a deacon or a bishop has to do the work of an evangelist. It says, do the work of an evangelist, meaning go and preach the gospel to the lost. Now, unfortunately, a lot of churches will make the mistake and not go and preach the gospel. They'll stay in the church and have people wait to come to them to preach the gospel. Raise your hand if you've heard the term, um, what's the word I'm looking for, where it's like, they, they, they preach the gospel at church. Um, the altar call. You, you've heard those, right? Where you're at church and the pastor says, if anyone doesn't never known this, please stand up or, you know, bow your heads, raise your hand if you've never heard this and pray this prayer with me and so on and so forth. I am not imposed to people doing altar calls at all. I am not imposed of a church deciding to use the church, the platform of the pulpit to preach the message of the gospel. Because the Bible says that the church is for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is supposedly, it's supposed to be that the assembling of ourselves come together, that fellow believers in the Lord Jesus Christ will come and hear the message of God. But in that midst, you will get unsaved people. People will want to know about the things of God and come to church. They're not saved and they need to hear the gospel message, but we do not rely on them coming to us. We are to go to them. But if a church decides to do altar calls, ain't no problem with that. 
unless they neglect the going aspect of the preaching of the gospel. We never replace the service of the Lord. We add it to the service of the Lord. The Bible teaches that we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs and make a new song with melodies in our heart. So obviously the we sung hymns just earlier today, right? Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And the Bible will then go and say, make a new song. So if a church decides to sing new songs unto the Lord Jesus Christ, nothing wrong with that. But if they neglect to sing the hymns and the psalms, now you are in a problem. Because the Bible says to be full of the Spirit, you need to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to grow in your faith. And if you decide to make a new song, that's great. But do not neglect what was commanded of you. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. So the tree of the righteous, or the fruit of the, I've said that three times just now. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. So number one, let's understand the concept of what it means to be fruitful. The Bible says in the very first commandment given to mankind to Adam and Eve is what? Be fruitful and multiply. A lot of people, unfortunately, and even Christians today, will equate good living as fruitfulness. This is what's known as lifestyle evangelism. Raise your hand if you've heard the term lifestyle evangelism. It's just basically saying that I'm going to preach the gospel through my actions and how I live my life and what I do and keeping the Ten Commandments and going to church and all these other things. But the Bible says we must open our mouths boldly to make known the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. So we do not use our lifestyle as the instrument to preach the gospel. But we do put on the breastplate of righteousness as the armor of God. We do not not shot our feet with the preparations of the gospel. Notice that the piece of equipment that God has given us is our feet shod, going unto the lost. The feet are the tool in which we bring the fight to the enemy. Now, obviously, the lost aren't the enemy. That's referring to false prophets and children of the devil and so on and so forth. But if we have the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and the shield of faith, which protects us from all the wildly darts of the wicked, we will be able to fight the Lord's battle. But if you do not shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel, you'll be stationary. You can do nothing. You cannot be a good instrument for the Lord to use for His work. Notice in the book of Acts, the early church, right? We start following the 12 disciples and Jesus Christ had just told them in the end of every gospel, go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. What was their problem that they did, the, the 12 disciples? They decided to stay in Jerusalem. Elsewhere in the gospel of John, it says he came unto his own and his own received him not. Jesus says, I have come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But while I am here, Jesus Christ had a three and a half year ministry while he was here to preach the gospel unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But then when he died, buried, and rose again, he told the disciples to now go and tell the world. Tell the Gentiles and go into the farthest parts of the world. And we need to follow that. The 12 disciples, or at that time, actually the 11 disciples, and notice what it said, chose not to do that. They stayed in Jerusalem. But then notice throughout halfway through the book of Acts, around chapter 9 or so, we start following a specific person. Who? The Apostle Paul. Why? 
because he understood the importance of going unto the farthest points of the earth. We look at the epistles, the epistles of the Ephesians, the Philippians, the Thessalonians, the Galatians, the Romans, and all these other people groups that needed to hear the gospel. It's one thing that my neighbor and the person down the street hear the gospel. It's another thing to go to the next island, to go when you're on vacation, wherever you are. And this is something that my wife and I will do. And not everyone has to, but I think this is a good practice for a Christian to do. If you decide to go on a vacation, let's say you choose Alaska, California, name the place, Africa. What you should use that for is evangelizing before you do extracurricular activity. I want to go to Australia to surf after you've preached the gospel to a neighborhood in those in Australia. I want to go to Jay Bay in South Africa because I know the waves are epic. I'm bringing up waves because that's where I would go if I were to vacation. But whatever you decide to do, let's say you want to do humanitarian work or, or you just, whatever the place, do not neglect the concept of going and preaching the gospel. But I'm trying to show us first that the fruit of the righteous fruitfulness as it says in the book of Genesis is the first commandment given to mankind be ye fruitful and multiply people will think that the righteous living is the fruit that is required of us no the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he that winneth souls is wise living a good life is nothing wrong with that but do not neglect going and reproducing another Christian because the Great Commission says, teach him to observe all things, get him baptized, and preach him the gospel. Preaching the gospel is number one. And if you do not preach the gospel or open your mouth boldly, you've not reproduced anything. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when you look at a married couple and they have five plus kids, you would say, that's a fruitful marriage. These people are really reproducing. Have you looked at animals and say, these animals are fruits at a tree? You know, it's the, it's the fruit that will reproduce another tree. If a tree doesn't have fruit, could you say it's fruitful? Obviously not. It's not producing fruit. It cannot reproduce another tree. But this is where I'm saying people will tend to fall into false doctrine. Is They'll say, I know someone is saved because I see what they are doing. Well, here's the thing. the Bible. What if it's a tree, a saved person, who has no fruits? We all know the parable of the sower, right? You have four groups of people. There's one that sows seed, and then the birds come and take it up and pull the seed out of the ground. This is him that was sown on the wayside, and the, or the birds came and pulled the word before it could ever grow. Then you have the ones that are sown on stony ground. Now, they received the word, meaning they accepted and believed it. They grew up, and when trials and persecutions arose, by and by, they were offended. We call this the Roman candle Christian. Because you ever had a Roman candle, those uh, fireworks you light, and they do a big old show, but then it, it's done. It, this is a sprinter. This is not a marathon runner. This is someone, when tribulation, as the Bible says, yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Not everyone is going to allow, or when persecution arises and occurs, continue in the fight and continue in the work of God. They're going to quit. Elsewhere, Paul talks about, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. But then the next group of people are those that are, when the seed was sown and it grew, the cares of this world choked it out and it became unfruitful. Why? Because they're caught up in the things of this world. They're not caught up in the things of God. They're not trying to go into the lost. They care about their career. They care about their hobbies. They care about other things. The care of this world choked it out and it became unfruitful. It didn't reproduce 
another Christian. But then the last one is the seed that was sown on good ground. And when it grew, it brought forth 30, 60, and 100 fold. Why? Because the heart of that person that believed on the Lord Jesus Christ understood the importance of going and reproducing, preaching the gospel. The word of God is a seed in the analogy or the parable of the sower. If you don't go and sow the seed, nothing will grow. So the sowing of the seed is what it means to become a soul winner, to be an evangelist. So we get it, David. We need to go soul win, preach the gospel to the lost. And I've already explained about the concept of opening our mouths boldly. But turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 10, just so you kind of see that the consistency of what the Bible is teaching about the concept of going. Notice what it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, it reads, actually, let's just start in verse 9. It says, that if, condition, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, now notice we're in the New Testament. So this is an emphasis that he's pointing to the Old Testament. This isn't new to the New Testament. This has always been the plan. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is over For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent as it is written? How beautiful are the how beautiful are the feet of them that bring the gospel of good tidings. So obviously the concept here is that no one will get saved unless you don't go. And you need to go and preach and open your mouth to make sure they believe what the Bible says. What does the scripture say? Because like I mentioned earlier, it's the word of God that has power. The Bible says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of man. So therefore, what that tells me, if I go and knock on the door and give someone the gospel, and I don't ever quote one verse from the Bible that person cannot be saved. Why? Because this is the seed that needs to be sown. Not my explanation of it, not an analogy of it, not a commentary on this, not me explaining it, quoting the words of God. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So, open our mouths boldly, go into the lost, use the word of God, preach the gospel. David, I don't know how to preach the gospel. I don't know where to navigate. I don't know how to expound on these things. I am not as knowledgeable as I maybe should or want to be. But you know what? There is nothing wrong with that. The Bible talks a lot about how there are babes in Christ. There's nothing wrong with being a baby. Is there something wrong with being born? Is there something wrong with being born in your family? No. There are times in our lives where people are novices and babies and young adults and so on and so forth. And there's nothing wrong some people, unfortunately, because one of the qualifications of a deacon or a pastor or, or a bishop is not a novice. 
lest he be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. That's just saying you're not a beginner. The pastor, the under-shepherd, is not supposed to be some novice. But you have to start somewhere to get to an end goal. If you do not... I have a saying in my house, if you do nothing, nothing happens. If you do something, something happens. So if you do nothing, you will not grow in your faith. And the Bible is very clear that we need to be in our Bibles daily and doing the works. Not for salvation, the works, but to grow thereby. And the Bible teaches, you don't need to turn there, but it says in Ephesians 4, 11, 12, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, that the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body. There is a work that needs to be done. What is that work? Going and preaching the gospel. Winning souls under the kingdom of heaven. Going and reproducing. Making new converts. Creating babies in Christ. What do we call someone who just gets saved? They are a born again Christian. The Bible says that there are three camps when it comes to who you are. They're the sons of God. There's the sons of mankind or the sons of Adam. And there are the children of the devil, or the Bible says children of the tares in the elsewhere parable. Sons of God are those who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Once they've done this, they are born again. They are born into the family of God. They are sealed into the day of redemption. They are passed from death unto life. Their sins are as far as the east is from the west. And they shall not be condemned. They are eternally saved. And that's what we're going to go into in just a moment. But if you decide to live a life of sin, you will be chastened. The Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges every son whom he receiveth. If you've been received into the family of God, you are held to a higher standard than the rest of the world. Let me ask you this, Rio. When your daughter does something bad, what do you do? You may discipline her, right? I know it's hard to discipline well, a little. It just depends on what she does. Right, you know, right. Like you, you have rules. And you're right, the Lord is quick to mercy and slow to wrath, but he has wrath. As a parent has rules for their children and says, you know, do your homework, do your chores, come home at nine. It's one thing if the child does not do their homework. It's one thing if the child does not come home at nine. It's another thing if that kid goes and robs a liquor store, they're held to a higher standard. Now the neighbor kid does not have those same rules because they are not your child. They are a child, and you should try to give that kid the gospel, but they're not your child. See, the God, God says, unto whom much is given of him should much be required, like salvation, like eternal life. But then they got the sons of Adam. That's in reference to the neighborhood kid. He's not your kid. And you could make rules and say, hey, son or daughter, do not hang out with so-and-so unless, and fill in the blank. So God is the same way. He is wanting to save the world. The Bible says, for instance, whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. He's trying to get everyone saved. But here's the thing, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, not everyone believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then you have children of the devil. And these are people who, once they are condemned, they are eternally damned. The Bible says that they are twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea to whom has reserved the blackness of darkness forever. There are people in this world who are evil people. I know that's hard to understand. Obviously, we know that the Bible teaches that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. So obviously, there is a group of people who are out trying to damn the world. They're out trying to 
get people to be dragged down to hell with themselves. The Bible talks about of the Pharisees. It says, you compassed sea and land and made one proselyte, which is a convert, one proselyte, two more, two more fold of a child of hell than yourselves. Meaning that you're a child of hell and you're trying to go around the world and preach your damnable doctrine to get other people to be condemned. You've compassed sea and land and made one proselyte twofold more a child of hell than yourselves. And that's Jesus Christ speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Why? Because they trusted in themselves that they were righteous. So, I know I got onto a little tangent there, but I just want us to understand the, under, the thought of reproduction, be a fruitful Christian, preach the gospel, go into the lost, use the Bible, use the words of God as your tool, because you cannot get anyone saved without the words of God. So now we're going to go into the 101s of soul winning or evangelizing. How, David? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. And so on and so forth. I'm going to give you a quick way to be able to whoever you are, no matter what educational background, whether you're man, woman, boy, girl, child, grandma, whatever, whoever you are, you can just quote these words and expound on these things and you can get anyone saved if you go and do the work. Now, the first thing I want us to understand is the concept of sin. I think everyone here knows that. We are all sinners. And if you ever are wanting, as the Bible commands, to go and preach the gospel, if you are trying to learn in that, you need to maybe write on a flashcard or something, some verses, that will help you navigate your Bible to be able to show people these five major points. And the first thing is sin. We are all sinners. I, standing here right now, am a sinner. I'm not perfect. I've not reached perfection. The Bible doesn't teach sinless perfection, that once someone puts their faith in Christ, they're always going to do the right thing. That's not what the Bible teaches. As a matter of fact, we need to deny ourselves daily, pick up our cross, and follow after him. So the first thing is found in Romans 3.23. On your flashcard, write Romans 3.23, and this will teach you about the thought of sin. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's pretty simple to understand now, isn't it? Some of us have sinned, all of us have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. God has a standard. That standard is perfection. None of us are perfect because we have sinned. So that should be easy. Elsewhere, if you wanted to use another passage, you can go to Romans 3.10. And in Romans 3.10, it says, As it is written, where? In the Old Testament. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. I'm not righteous, you're not righteous, none of us are righteous. But nevertheless, because we are sinners, the Bible then says that there is a punishment for sin. And you can take them to Romans 6.23. And like I said, raise your hand if you've heard the term the Romans Road. The Romans Road is a coined term by this pastor named Jack Hiles who used these specific passages to help show people the plan of salvation. Now I'm not going to specifically give you the complete Romans Road. You can tailor it to however you want. I mean, there's a saying, there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? But nevertheless, you have to get these major points across. And the first thing is sin, and the second thing is understanding the punishment of sin. And Romans 6.23 is one of those clear passages that help anyone to understand that if you sin, there is a punishment. And it says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. And that gives you a semicolon. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the first thing is what you want them to know. 
for the wages of sin is death. Wage, a better way to explain it in our modern vocabulary would be to earn. You go to work and earn a wage, right? You've heard the term minimum wage, meaning the minimum time spent, you have to make so much money. So we earn through our sin is to die. But when you die, is it lights off? Is that it? The Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. So then you can take them to a place like Revelation. And Revelation 21.8 references, and as a matter of fact, turn if you would to Revelation 21.8. So you can see, because when you go evangelizing enough, and when you go soul winning enough, 99% of people are going to say, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done wrong, and I know I'm bad. But then you ask them, okay, where do you think sinners go when they die? Most people will be like, they're going to go to hell. Where do, They go to a bad place, and so on and so forth. And that's true. But then you ask them, okay, do you believe you deserve to go to hell for your sin? You know what most people will say that I've noticed? I'm not that bad. I've not done that bad of things. I'm not that bad of a person. I'm not Adolf Hitler. I'm not Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm not this whore. I've never killed anyone. So no, I don't think my sin is that bad. But here's the thing. Whose standard are you using? Yourselves or God's? And the Bible will teach us in Revelation 21.8 a list of sins that will condemn people to hell. And notice what it says on the list. The very first thing it says in Revelation 21.8, but the fearful, I've been afraid, and unbelieving, and the abominable, and the murderer, and the whoremonger, and the sorcerer, and the idolater, and watch this one, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The Bible calls the lake of fire or hell a second death. Because it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. We are all going to physically die one day. But after the death of the body, if the spirit has sin, it will go to a second death, or what we know as hell. When you show this to people, some people still aren't convinced. Because then you ask them, have you ever been afraid? Yeah, I've been afraid. Have you ever been a liar? Well, yeah, I've said white lies from time to time. Okay, so according to the Bible, where shall you have your part? You shall have your part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. And some people will bristle at that and understand that when you go out preaching the gospel, like I've said before, yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus, not live godly, live godly in Christ Jesus, as he has told us to go and preach the gospel, yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You don't think I've been threatened at the door, door slammed on my face, who the hell are you to tell me that I'm on my way to hell? If you love them, tell them these things because I'm not wanting you to go to this place but nevertheless I'd be doing you an injustice if I didn't tell you that according to the Word of God the Bible if you die in your sin you will see the lake of fire and if they bristle at this if they get upset about this you know once again you ever heard the saying don't shoot the messenger why do you think they killed the Apostles why do you think they crucified Jesus Christ himself because he went around telling them a good message yes but part of that good message is the concept of the wages of our sin. So nevertheless, if they understand this, and, and I'll, I'll leave you on this one point before we move forward. Do not beat a dead horse. If someone understands they're a sinner, move to the next point. Don't drill them on how horrible of a person they really are. Because let's face the fact, most people aren't that horrible with people. But it's true. If you've broken the law in one place, you, you're guilty of it all. Because I have not killed anyone and I'm not going to ask for a raise of hand if anyone has killed someone here. But I doubt anyone has killed someone here. But here's the thing. 
the Bible teaches very clearly that the thought of foolishness is sin. Being afraid of anything other than God is a sin. If you're about to fall off your surfboard and drown, that's considered sinful because you're afraid to die. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if you're afraid of what the judgment of God is, you're on the path to wisdom. Understand you're a sinner. Understand the penalty for sin. Then you move on. If they get that, move on to the next point. Don't park it there. Don't drill them on the thought of like, you're a horrible, wicked, adultering, fornicating, lying, murdering dude. Not a lot of people are that bad, okay? But nevertheless, in the sight of God, we are sinners, period. So the next point is that I usually tell people, you're a sinner, you deserve to go to hell for your sin. But do you think God wants us to go to hell? No. As it said elsewhere, God says, whosoever will, let him come and take the water of life freely. Whoever wants to can take the word of life freely. So what did God do for us so that we do not have to go to hell? And most people will all, and like I said, you'll, you'll experience this as you give the gospel to different people, is that most people know about who Jesus is and what he has done, but they don't understand what that means. I say, what does... What did God do for us so that we don't have to go to hell? Well, he died on the cross. Who died on the cross? Well, Jesus. Who is Jesus? Because raise your hand. Don't you know that there are lots of people who believe that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God? There are, there are faiths all around the world that do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He was a prophet. He was an evangelist. He was a good teacher. The Bible says that he is the Son of God. He is God manifested in the flesh. It says in Hebrew 1, To the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is a scepter of thy righteousness. So the Bible, and I tend to point them to 1 John 5, 7, to just emphasize who Jesus Christ is. Because in 1 John 5, 7, if you would, turn there, it explains the doctrine of the Trinity in one verse. 1 John 1, 7 says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one so first john 5 7 explains the doctrine of the trinity the word trinity just simply means tri unity there are three that are one three what three people the father the word and the holy ghost and they are one god there's not three gods there's one Christ. there's one god and jesus christ is that one god he is the second member of the godhead but he is not the father and i use the family analogy like, let's say if my wife and I had a son, right? I would tell people, like, am I my wife? No. Is my wife my son? No. Is my son me? No. But we are the keepers. If you looked at us, you'd say, oh, there's the keepers. So that's what God is like. There's one God composed of three people. And, you know, not to get into a different subject, but the, Bi the Bible is very clear. After the first and second admonition, reject a heretic. So if you're going to expounding on these things and they're trying to challenge you, don't cast your pearl before a swine. If they're trying to understand, show them one passage. Show them a second passage after the first and second admonition. I'll even give the benefit of the doubt and sometimes do a third passage. If they're not understanding this, the Bible says kick the dust off your feet and move on. Because we're not there to park it unless they're trying to truly understand what the message of salvation is. If they're trying to debate you, Jesus Christ isn't the Son of God. Look, my Mormon book says that he is a you know, a created being of Elohim the Father, or I am a Muslim and it says that he's a good prophet, blah, blah, blah. The Bible says that he's the word of God manifested in the flesh. He says that 
I and my father are one. Give them one, two. If they don't want to hear it, okay, I'm sorry you, you don't believe that. Just here to show you. I'll go and move on. You're not supposed to argue with people. We're not here to argue. We're here to show them the plan of salvation. And then the subject of who Jesus Christ is, unfortunately, confuses a lot of people. Teach everyone they're sinners. Teach everyone the penalty for sin. Explain to them that God loves us, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, the word of God manifested in the flesh, to come and die for us. Elsewhere in the Bible it says, He who knew no sin, he became sin for us, that we may be known as the righteousness of God. John 1.1, 1, 1, the famous passage that a lot of people know. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then you look at verse 14 and it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So when you go in to explain that, you then ask him, what did Jesus Christ, when he went around telling everyone that he was the son of God and doing all these miracles, what did they do to him? They killed him. They put him to the cross. They crucified him. And at that moment, when he died, this is what the gospel is. The word gospel means good news. The bad news has already been established. The good news or the gospel is found in John 3.16, the most famous passage in the whole Bible. There are so many people. There's someone holding up at a football game. So It's on the, the bottom of the cup of the In-N-Out Burger or the In-N-Out Burger cup. John 3.16 is pretty well known around the planet. But what's funny is no one tends to understand what it really means. Because it says simply, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I've had it time and time again, where you're showing them the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that as you're quoting this, they'll finish the quote for you, but they just blow right past what it takes to have eternal life. You'll start saying, well, you know, it says right here, for God so loved, hey, yeah, 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 I get it, that whosoever believeth in him shall have everlasting life. So what does someone have to do to have everlasting life? Be a good person, go to church, what does it say? Whosoever believeth in him. And that's the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That whosoever puts their faith or trust in him will have, present tense, eternal life. So the first is sin. Second is penalty for sin. Third is getting them to understand the gospel, which is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, came and died and rose again for them. And then in doing so, if you believe this, you will be given something. Now notice what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And then it says in Romans 6.23, that passage that you brought through them earlier, it says, for God so, or, the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So emphasize what it means to be given something. If I were to give someone a phone and say, give me five bucks, is it a gift? It's not, because you would have bought it. What if I said you could have my truck? But you got to wash it. Is it a gift? No, you earned it by washing it. What if I said you could have my house? Here's the key to my house. But you have to be a good person to have this house. Is it a gift? There's contingency. You have to be good to have the house. If you're not good, you won't have the house. So we got to emphasize what a gift is. A gift is freely given. Who pays for the gift? The giver or the receiver. Obviously the person giving it. If I bought a house and I give it to someone, they didn't have to pay for it. I paid for it as Christ paid for the punishment of sin. The gift of God is eternal life, which is life that will never end. 
two parts of that word, eternal. Eternal comes from a root word to terminate. And E, that prefix there, is against. Not going to terminate. Not going to stop. Everlasting life. Eternal life. So if someone is given eternal life, it's theirs forever. You cannot lose it because you were not good enough to have it in the first place. But once you have it, you cannot be bad enough to lose it. This is what the Bible says when it says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's by Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection only can anyone be saved. Not in works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's according to His mercy are we saved. And sometimes you'll get people who are confused on the thought of what it means to have faith alone in Christ. They think that if you believe, you will have to continue in a life of good deeds to maintain your salvation. The Bible never teaches that to continue to be saved or to maintain salvation, you must obey the commandments, go to church, fill in the blank, because you weren't good enough to get it. But once you have it, your sins are as far as the east is from the west. You have been passed from death unto life. Your name is written in the book of life, and you will never die. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. But this is what people tend to mix up. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but so much when you preach this, the gospel of Jesus Christ, people will say, yeah, but if I do not see someone living a good life, that means they never believed. Who said that? Who said that if you do not continue in a good life, you're not saved. You're not sealed into the day of redemption. You should do good works. You should keep the commandments. You should pick up your cross daily and follow after Christ. You should not lie. You should not steal. You should be good to your parents. You should be a good husband. Be a good wife. You should do a lot of things. But only one time in the whole Bible is the question asked, what must I do to be saved? What do I have to do to be saved? And the answer was simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And you might, if you believe, he will give you eternal life. Emphasize the doctrine of the eternal security of the believer. Because if people do not understand this, they cannot be saved. Because then they think that something they have to do maintains their salvation. It's not Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, plus be a good person. It's Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. What did we just sing this morning? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the earth. That is how we are saved. And with that being said, you... People will get, this is one of the major doctrines that people will get mixed up in. And you don't want to debate people at the door. If they're, if they're sitting there trying to argue with you and like, no, I don't think that faith is enough or just to believe, you also have to be good. Give them one, two admonitions, a third, hey, you know what? God bless you and I hope you, put, you understand salvation by faith alone. Because what does it say in Ephesians 2, 8, 9? For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Remember that gift? And it is not of works, lest any man should boast. And the one major nail in the coffin to disprove the doctrine of maintaining good works to be saved, or some people think you have to repent of your sins to be saved, which, what does the word repent even mean? See, some people, when they hear that word repent, just put into it of sin. 
Did you know that nowhere in the King James Version of the Bible will you find the term, repent of your sin? Now, why do you think that is? Because you do not have to repent of your sins to be saved. And this is that nail in that coffin that disproves that. Turn, if you would, to Jonah. See, it's not just the New Testament teaching this. This is consistent with the whole Bible. The thought of salvation by faith only. Can anyone be saved? Jonah is one of the minor prophets after Habakkuk, after Malachi. I'm sorry, not after Malachi. It is after Obadiah. Jonah chapter 3. If someone says, well, I understand what you're saying, that even though we deserve to go to hell, I still think I have to stop sinning and then put my faith in Christ. I need to repent of my sins. Take them to Jonah 3 verse 9. Notice what it says. Who can tell if God will turn? So we just are defining what it means to repent. Turn from what? Who can, who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works. So what did he look down at? He saw what they did. That they turned from their evil way. So God says that when you turn from your evil way, that is a work in the sight of God. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he said he would do unto them, and did it not. So God changed his mind about destroying these people. Why? Because they stopped sinning. That is not how they got saved. That is a preventative of God's wrath on the nation of Nineveh. So once again, simply understanding this. The five major points of the gospel, if you decide to put it on your flashcard or you want to help navigate your Bible when you're going and preaching the gospel, you need to first help them to understand that we are all sinners, that we all deserve to go to hell for our sin, the punishment of sin. Teach them the gospel, that Jesus Christ died, buried, and rose again, and that when you believe in that, you will be given the gift of eternal life. And once you are given eternal life, there's one last point we need to understand. Turn, if you would, back to Romans chapter 10. And we'll end here because this is the thing that tentatively will prevent a lot of people from being saved. Because while you're turning to Romans 10, I'm going to turn back to Romans 4 just to show you the consistency of what the passage, what the Bible teaches. The inerrancy, the, the without error, perfect word of God. It says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if, once again the condition, for if Abraham were justified by words, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh not is a reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David described it also, the blessedness unto the man unto whom the Lord will not impute, um, impute righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are not imputed unto them. Once you believe, your sins will never be imputed unto you, because you will continue until this flesh is gone, have sin in your life. What did Paul say? His famous quote, the things that I want to do, I can't do them. The things that I don't want to do, I do them. 
Why, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me of the body of this sin? Because when it, it is I that sin, and it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me, O wretched man that I am. So we have to daily try to live a righteous life, not for salvation, but to be pleasing unto the Lord, to be good, obedient children, to be able to be used by the Lord Jesus Christ, to be able to get people saved. And notice what it says in Romans 10, where we last, well, we, we read this earlier, but this is the last thing you need to understand, is calling upon the name of the Lord. How shall they hear unless they be sent? Notice what it says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, if, if, she need to use the bathroom or, oh, okay, okay. No worries. It says right here that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, confessing with your mouth, and believe in thine heart, because that's the prerequisite, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou might be saved, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth is confession made unto salvation. So what does that mean? Let's say I represented the Lord Jesus Christ. And this Bible represented eternal life. And I give this analogy almost all the time at the door. It really helps click it over with people. And I go up to them. And I say, sir or ma'am or whatever their name is. If I represented the Lord Jesus Christ and this Bible represented eternal life. And I said, hey, John, I have something for you. It has your name right here. I want to give this to you. All you have to do is ask me. And I will give this to you. But until you ask, I am going to hold on to this. Does that person have to ask for it? They don't. They can decide to not ask for it, wait on it. And the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. We don't know when we're going to die. You can choke on a chicken bone at dinner. Airplane can come and crash on you. You can drown in the ocean if you surf. We're not promised any one second from now. This is what it meant by... You know, we need to compel them. We need to urge them to understand that you are not promised any one second from now. And if the Lord Jesus Christ is offering you grace and is extending his hand of mercy unto you, all you have to do is ask him and he will give you eternal life. And once you've done so, it is yours forever. And you are never good enough to get it, but once you have it, you will not get take it back from you. Because he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. An analogy I tend to use for some people is the concept of holding on to someone. If God or Jesus Christ extends his hand of grace unto us, for by grace are you saved through faith. If I reach out by faith and grab onto his grace, and he says, no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. My father which gave them me is stronger than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my hand. If I grab onto the Lord Jesus Christ because he extended his hand down to me, and I decide to try to run away from his grace, he is stronger than me. He, I am sealed unto the day of redemption. Once they understand this, help them to ask for the gift of eternal life. And this is what we do through the prayer. Haven't you heard the term, the sinner's prayer? This is the thought of when you explain this all to them. Because how shall they hear unless they be sent, right? If they don't know these things, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit. And neither can he know them because he is spiritually discerned. These words that I preach unto you, they are spirit and they are life. 
The words of God are what able to help that person get saved. He's using you, the vessel, the instrument, to preach the words unto them. You need to go unto them, expound these things, and then they will be given eternal life. You don't need to turn there, but it says in 1 John 5, 13, These things have I written unto you. We're almost at the end of the Bible. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that you have eternal life. Does it matter what I think that you have eternal life? Does it matter what, I, what a church thinks that you have eternal life? Does it matter what a pastor says? Does it matter who anyone says? Hope of eternal life that God that cannot lie promised before the world began. If the person, if you help lead them into the Lord and pray the sinner's prayer with them and help them to call upon the name of the Lord for salvation, they're sealed. They're on their way to heaven no matter what. And that is what it means to go ye there into all the world and preach the gospel unto them. After that, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, and then teach them to observe all things whatsoever Christ has commanded. That is why the Great Commission is threefold. But the first thing is preach the gospel. Elsewhere in the book of Revelation, it talks about not forsaking the first works or the first love. Because the first thing we do is preach them the gospel. Well, let me ask you this. If someone puts their faith in Christ and never gets baptized, are they going to heaven? Of course. Because baptism symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You're making an outward profession saying, I believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again through the symbolism of baptism, immersion through the water. And that's another message for another time. But what is a babe in Christ, puts their faith in that, never gets baptized, and never reads their Bible, never steps foot into a church, and has becomes a horrible person. God will chasten them here in this earth, but they will never see the lake of fire. As parents will never throw their children in an oven, God will not throw his children in the oven. So the importance of the message that I wanted us to understand today is go soul winning. Go and preach these words. Not in words of wisdom which we have preached. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. I'm not great. I don't care how eloquent, how smart, how unique, how dynamic of a person you are. It's the words that God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the mighty. So we need to make sure that we go and preach the gospel and in doing so, we'll be pleasing unto our Father which is in heaven. But... If you never do that, you know, you're ashamed of the cause of Christ. Not because maybe you don't know. But nevertheless, we need to, in our life, pick up our cross daily, deny ourselves. I can find a million things to do throughout a day. Trust me. I can go surf. I can go work. I can fill in the blank. But if we do not, if we neglect the time to go preach to the lost, we're going to be in the sight of God displeasing to him. But you're still saved and you're on your way to heaven. And... We need to make sure we never forsake this work. I know I said this already, but this truly is the last thing I'm going to say. In Acts 5, it says, they just beaten and, and persecuted the disciples. It says, and in the temple and from house to house, they cease not to teach Jesus Christ. If the governor, if the president, if the mayor, if a guy with a gun says, do not preach in this name, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So I'm not going to either. And we need to understand the importance of how many people died 
doing this very thing and preaching the gospel to the lost. And I hope to God that throughout your week, throughout your life, you learn to serve God and to preach the gospel to the lost. And with that being said, let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer to make sure that we never neglect this crucial Great Commission. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for allowing us to hear your word preached. Please help fill us with the Holy Spirit to make us bold to be able to go out to preach your word, to get those who have not heard of your gospel to be saved, and to uh, remember that we honor and glory you in everything that we do. And in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.